You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, what a joy it is for me to be uh, here again this Sunday. Uh, George asked me if I would uh, share in this series on the book of Ezekiel, and it's just been, uh, it's just been a great privilege to, to be able to uh, share in these, two, in these two Sundays. And uh, also, I want to... Uh, I want to also salute uh, mothers today and uh, uh, add, add my greeting to all of uh, the things that George said, uh, honoring the mothers in our lives. They are, uh, they're, such a, they're such a joy and uh, they, they mean so much to us. And actually, I was going to read you a poem that I wrote for Mother's Day, but I seem to have lost it, so... Uh, <laughs> I had it here a moment ago, you know. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, I've, every, and several Mother's Days, I've sort of written poems, and, uh, and this one was, was a good one, too, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, maybe somebody uh, took it from me. <laughs> but whatever, uh, uh, you know who you are, and. Uh, <laughs> Last week, we preached on the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. And in 33, uh, Ezekiel hears a command from the Lord. The Lord God commands him to be a sentinel. And so it was a sentinel passage. We looked at the role he had to play. He was uh, a sentinel to, first of all, warn the people. To warn the people of uh, the wrong decisions that that, that lie ahead, that they, can, that they themselves, the people of Israel, could make while they're in their captivity. And he warned them against evil. And then the second half of his warning, he points. He points and gives them the call to repent. A little bit like John the Baptist did the same thing. He urges them to repent, to uh, repent of the evil that they were uh, maybe tempted in. And because... Uh, he said, it's not God's will that, that you die. He wants you to live. But you need to turn back. Turn back from the evil that is uh, lying close to you. In fact, the end of that passage is a stern, is a stern uh, warning and exhortation where he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from their ways and live. And then the last line, turn back, turn back from the evil ways. Again, sounds a lot like John the Baptist and his stern uh, warning to people that he played as a sentinel. Uh, but Ezekiel's book moves on and moves on in the next chapter to a, even a better uh, word that we get to hear from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 33, he's a sentinel. And it's, it's, a, it's a text about what he's supposed to do. But in Ezekiel 34, uh, a different word comes. And let me read that to you now. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. The prophet hears these words from the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep. This is now not a command to Ezekiel to be a sentinel or for anything for him to do. But it's what God himself intends to do. I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. 
As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all of the places to which they have been scattered on, the, on, on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in the, in the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. And there they will lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back those that have strayed. I will bind up the injured. What a tremendous promise. It's the promise that Ezekiel uh, hears from the Lord. And it is a wonderful text. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that in our Lord's ministry, when he's walking with the disciples in Galilee, and you heard that read just a few moments ago uh, in the Matthew 9 text, where in Matthew's gospel he tells of as they walk along uh, in, in Galilee, our Lord uh, went about to all the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming good news, curing every disease and sickness. Then comes this intriguing line. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The disciples see this. They see the love that Jesus Christ had toward the people. It happened when he healed them and when he taught them. But they saw his love. This strong love word, compassion. He had compassion for them because they were harassed. It's in, the King James Bible says they were fainting. Uh, the RSV decides to translate this word harassed. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his translation calls it they were bewildered. They were uh, confused. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the disciples saw this, and they saw our Lord uh, concerned for the sheep. And then he tells the disciples to pray, to pray to the Father that he will send help to these sheep that are, that are harassed and are without shepherds. Pray to the Father. That's a in, very interesting text from our Lord. So now we have Ezekiel saying that God intends to be the shepherd of his, peop, of, his shop, of his flock. We hear our Lord having compassion for the crowds when he sees them as harassed or confused without shepherds. And then we hear our Lord telling the disciples to pray to the Father, to pray to God that help will come for those sheep. Now the question is, uh, we have the prayer, we have the promise that our Lord is uh, showing with his love for them. Now, how will this happen? How will this shepherding happen? We know about the brokenness. We saw that last week when Ezekiel played the role of the sentinel. We saw it with John the Baptist when he played that same role. We know about the brokenness and we know how it works and we know how much harm happens with bad choices that we make. And the people, when they choose evil instead of choosing righteousness, we know what happens to people because of that. The prophets like Ezekiel and John the Baptist warn us about this 
and they urge us to repent of those harmful ways. So we understand that. That was clear last week. It was clear in John the Baptist, clear in Ezekiel. But not all brokenness is our fault. Uh, Not all brokenness can be solved by our repenting. There is evil that does press down upon men and women and boys and girls. And it happens, uh, it, it happened to these people that hear Ezekiel's uh, prophecy and read the, uh, the prophet Ezekiel who writes it during the Babylonian uh, exile. With the, uh, you know, in 586, the Babylonian Empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They leveled it. They sacked it. And over a series of deportations, they brought the people captive back to the Tigris-Euphrates river system where they had the Babylonian Empire. And they brought them as slaves, in effect, as vassals. And, they, and they, it was a, a cruel repression. We know about it. We know quite a bit about the exile. Uh, we know from the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were, uh, were profoundly tempted to... Uh, worship an idol, to worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol and and image, or else they'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. Remember that? Daniel was thrown to a lion's den. We know of the of the pressures upon these people. And you can't uh, tell the people to repent from that. This is evil that is happening on them and upon them. So in a sense, Uh, There is the evil that we need to repent of that's happening inside of us. But what about the evil that's happening to us or upon us? And that's what the Babylonians, uh, the Babylonian captivity did. The people know about that. Later on in the first century, there'll be a Roman uh, oppression. And when our Lord walks around Galilee and sees the people fainting and sees the people harassed and sees the people adrift, they're adrift from their sins for sure. John the Baptist made that clear. But also there's an oppression on them. They're harassed. And the Roman uh, severity of the Roman Empire was, was uh, we know a lot about that in the first century. And it still happens. There is still evil that comes on you as well as the wrong choices that happen within you, within me. There's that that happens on top and comes down. What's, what, what's going to happen there? What can the shepherd do about that? And added to this, there is the final foe of all people that Ezekiel mentions, John the Baptist knows about, we all know about. And that is the righteous and unrighteous have a final foe, and that is death itself. It's the final boundary. And there is no avoidance of that boundary. As C.S. Lewis said, 100% of us die. Nothing can change the percentage. It's just, it's just the way it is. That also stands there and is, is a part of, of the crisis, you might say, that we're all in. Now, when you think about it, these three sources of shared crisis are the stuff of almost all human stories uh, and human songs and so many of the, uh, of the stories we write. And the adventure stories we write are about various variations on this threefold crisis. Mark Twain, seems to me, saw it in his American classic, uh, Huckleberry Finn, his great novel. Uh, in that amazing novel, Mark Twain sees the threefold nature of the crisis. 
and he does it in a, in a whimsical way. For example, think of the character Huck himself. Huck, by his own admission, is a bad boy. Uh, he's a thief. He's a liar. And uh, that's the way he describes himself. And that is Huck. And uh, he's way too much under the influence of his friend Tom Sawyer. And, uh, and he's and his sort of no-good father. So Huck has had a lot of bad choices he's made. And he is one of the great uh, heroes of Huckleberry Finn riding on the raft. But he's not the only one on the raft. There's also Jim. Jim, who's on the raft with Huck. In a sense, Jim is the more important character on the raft, even than Huck. But he is a victim of slavery, which is a wrongness that was imposed on him and, by, and on his family by others. <coughs> That's not something he needs to repent from. It's an evil that happened to him, not so much, not within him. It's on him. And in a way, uh, Mark Twain's novel, Huckleberry Finn, is one of the great anti-slavery novels of all time. Because there's Huck that's on the raft, and there's Jim who's on the raft. They both have a crisis. But there's one other thing in the story. Because of the remarkable storytelling skill of Mark Twain, there's also the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River is a player in the story. The non-negotiable current of the Mississippi River. Nothing can go against that. Whether you're righteous or you're unrighteous, whoever you are, everyone is in that stream. And everyone has, is, is affected by the Mississippi River. And that is sort of like uh, the one thing that nothing can change. It's there. Now, we have the Lord's promise in Ezekiel. To, and, in, and we also have our Lord's promise to his disciples when, we, when he showed his love and described the people as harassed and in need of a shepherd. Now the question is, how will the shepherding happen for the people that can do all the things that need to be done to bring these people home, to, to bring them safe at last? And so that they can find pasture and find joy and find meaning to their life. How can that happen? That is the huge question. And it's interesting that in the Matthew 9 text, Jesus tells his disciples, pray about that. Pray to the Lord that help will come for these sheep. Well, where is it going to come from? Well, it'll come from Jesus himself. He himself is the answer to the prayer. He himself, just as in the Ezekiel text, the Lord himself intends to bring his people back. He's the answer himself. Our Lord uh, told us this on the eve of Holy Week, on the eve of Palm Sunday, in a remarkable text in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus actually uh, tells us the answer uh, to the prayer that he gave his disciples to pray earlier on. In that, he, uh, in, the, in the 10th chapter of John, we hear that the, uh, the thief comes to kill and to steal. We get the, introduced to the thief. We get introduced to the, to the harm that happens to the sheep. 
the harm that happens upon them and uh, that like the wolf that snatches them. But listen to this. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The wolf snatches them, scatters them. Uh, But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This word for is literally the word in behalf of the sheep. I take their place. I have others. And then, then a mysterious sentence is added by our Lord to the disciples. And I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there are going to be many more sheep that I'm going to bring in. This is an amazing passage. Uh, So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Listen to these next lines. No one takes it from me. Think of it. This is the this is spoken by our Lord just before the week like no other week that will include the trial of our Lord, his crucifixion on Good Friday, and then finally the amazing victory on on Easter Sunday. But before that terrible trial, before that terrible moment of Bad Friday, when our Lord will go to the cross, but yet he says this, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority or power to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Our Lord is now uh, giving to his disciples this opening glimpse. They don't understand it, but this opening, they will later, this opening glimpse of what's going to happen during that week. I lay my life down. I take it up again. And then the last line is very moving. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now comes the promise of life. And they will never perish. I thought the Mississippi River was, was inevitable. I thought the death is inevitable. No, they will not perish. Nor will anyone snatch them out of my hand. This is our Lord now answering the prayer that he tells his disciples to pray. Jesus and Jesus alone is able to heal the brokenness that's ours to own up to. The, the brokenness that John the Baptist told us to repent of, uh, who can heal it? It becomes clear in this text. It becomes clear in the New Testament. This is what happened at Mount Calvary. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who can resolve the human crisis that we cause ourselves. He and he alone can overcome the evil of the thief that robs and steals of the wolf that snatches. He and he alone is able to overcome the evil that we're not responsible for, though it happens to us. And there is evil that happens to us. Is there an answer to that? And our Lord promises on the the night before Holy Week that he is the one that that will be able to answer that as well. That's why when Luther talks about the cross of Christ, he uses the, the, the great phrase, Christus Victor. He was victor of, over what? Over the devil, over evil itself. 
Evil itself met its match at Mount Calvary. Uh, Jesus Christ not only resolves our sin at the cross, he not only uh, gives us, uh, disarms death at the cross, he does disarm it by taking it, but he also uh, disarms the power of evil. Evil is no match. Uh, St. Paul will put it this way, where sin increased and evil does have, have a cumulative power, the grace of God was in cumulative, had greater cumulative power. Gr- grace increased more. Jesus Christ conquers uh, the, the thief. He conquers the wolf that snatches and destroys. So evil is met, meets its match at Mount Calvary. And he's the Lord of the river too. Uh, death meets his match at Mount Calvary. Uh, St. Paul tells Timothy to wager on this. The last letter St. Paul wrote is his letter, 2 Timothy. The last letter of St. Paul is written to a young man. And I love this one line that appears in the opening of that book where Paul says to Timothy, he's just described the grace, the love of Christ. And he says, this love or grace of Christ was given to us before the ages began. Pascal has an interesting line that God loved you before he made you. He loves you before he created you. You were loved before you even came into being. His love is prior to your existence. And St. Paul is saying that about the love, this power of the love and grace of Christ before the ages began that love is there he's telling Timothy I want you to wager on that but notice he goes on and makes another point and it's now been revealed to us through the appearing of our savior the one who now rescues us Jesus Christ the fulfillment of that promise that Ezekiel heard I will rescue the people who rescues us who makes us safe And then comes this amazing next sentence, and who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The RSV decides to translate this word abolish, uh, abolish death. Actually, it's an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek letter A, which is put in front of a, a word means no or against. And then it's the word erg, which means to work. And it's put a erg, and that would mean, uh, and so one translation of the passage would be this, uh, our Savior Jesus Christ, who has made inoperative death, see, non-workable, because the word work means to work, put an A in front of it, non-workable, has made death non-workable. It's powerful, yes, it's inevitable, maybe, but it's non-workable when Jesus Christ uh, tangles with death at Mount Calvary and on Easter morning. And that's why he can say to these disciples, uh, they will not perish, nor will anyone, even death itself, will not snatch them out of my hands. It is inoperable. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to wager on that. I want you to build on that. I want you to know how powerful good is, how powerful the love of Christ is. And that really is... uh, That's the answer to the prayer that our Lord gives the disciples. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord that he will help 
his people, these folks that are adrift and without a shepherd. You know, this, uh, this sense of the power of goodness and the power of good, the power of Christ's love, which is the great biblical theme that we have throughout all this text, that that love is greater than evil, is greater than our sins, is greater than death, but it's also greater than evil, is a wonderful theme that many novelists, many writers have struggled with. Secular writers, as well as Christian writers, have struggled and worked with that great theme. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, worked with it in the Chronicles of Narnia, the great golden lion Aslan, his love for a, a boy, Edmund, who's a bad boy, who betrayed his brother and his two sisters because he was tempted by Turkish delight. And he is, uh, he is now uh, uh, captive to evil because when you commit evil, you end up captive to it. How will he be rescued? He's rescued when the great golden lion takes his place. Takes his place. And when that taking the place, which is what the Redeemer does when he takes our place at Mount Calvary, you heard it. I am the shepherd that lays my life down for the sheep in behalf of the sheep. When he does that, it sets Edmund free. It also breaks the stone table. When the one who's committed no treachery uh, takes the place of one who commits treachery, then time moves back and victory is won and death is now met its match. Uh, J.K. Rollins in her remarkable uh, stories of the, the Harry Potter series is, is really quite remarkable because she grapples with evil, pure evil. And it's interesting to me, the name for pure evil in the Harry Potter stories, it's Voltmore. And Voltmore is two words put together, V-O-I-D, void, T, mort, death, empty death. It's, and Voltmore is explained to us as the one who cannot love, who does not love, who chooses not to love. Over against Harry Potter, who does have love in his life that he remembered because his parents loved him. And he's, war, and he's given advice to remember that love, to remember that goodness. So goodness then is more powerful than the, the evil of Voltmore. Powerful evil, yes. Goodness is stronger. And many great novelists have struggled with this. Uh, maybe Rowlands herself got the idea from J.R. Tolkien, who in Lord of the Rings has a powerful evil in the ring, and yet the goodness of two little halflings, uh, Sam Gamgee and Frodo, who have goodness, that goodness is stronger than the power of, of the ring. Even the power of the ring itself, with all of its terror, is not a match for goodness when goodness is there. And that is a Christian theme. That's a theme we discovered from the gospel. We discovered it from our Lord himself when he said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I can lay it down and lift it up again. I have power over death itself and over evil and over our sins. This is good news. Last week I read the opening stanza of the marvelous, uh, the marvelous poem uh, by George Herbert. By the way, we sang George Herbert's hymn at the beginning of worship today. Uh, this wonderful hymn of George Herbert we sang. And uh, he wrote a poem called The Call. I read the first stanza to it you, last week. Come my way, my truth, my life, such a way as gives us breath. Wow, I love that. Enables us to breathe. 
Such a truth that ends strife resolves our sins. Such a life as killeth death. The life of Christ, his life, destroys death. Let me read you the third stanza of the call. Come, my joy, my love, my my heart. Such a joy as none can move. When it dawns on me that the good shepherd gives me life, then uh, I receive joy. Uh, That's the pastors. I receive, you heard it in Ezekiel text. You'll be able to be, you'll be able to uh, have water and pasture and you'll be able to uh, experience the fulfillment of the 23rd Psalm. Knowing the Lord is my shepherd, I won't want. So such a joy as none can move and such a love as none can part. I've given them life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then the last line, and such a heart as joys in love that experiences and rejoices in the love of God. Uh, That's the fulfillment of the Good Shepherd passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you that it uh, is so needed for us today. Uh, We need to know that there is a shepherd greater than evil, greater than death, and greater than our sins, and able to make us whole. May we experience that. We thank you for Ezekiel, who had this amazing promise to make. And thank you that Jesus Christ fulfilled it. May we experience it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.